Good morning. Thank you, Carl. I figured today I would dress like the millennial pastor. Juan dressed traditionally. I have a t-shirt on. I don't know if this is acceptable, but you see in all these new churches today that uh, all the pastors are dressing down. I don't know if that's a new thing coming or what, Um, but let's go before the Lord in prayer. Are you hungry to feel the presence of God this morning? Are you hungry to see God for who he really is? Because this psalm talks about blessing the Lord, oh my soul. It's a self-talk. It's a commandment to your own soul. You're going, soul, bless the Lord. And so when we go before him in prayer, because we always you know, pray right before we preach, because we want God to come in. But I would encourage you where you're at to ask your soul, to bless the Lord. And in the Hebrew, it means to kneel. It means to kneel before him, to submit to him, to give everything to him. So let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we want to see you for who you really are. Lord, you promised that we're two or more gathered in your name, that you are here. Lord, I just pray that we would feel your presence this morning, Lord, physically, that we would hear from you, Lord, and we'd be able to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just speak uh, to us today, that I would just decrease and disappear, but you would speak, Lord, and that your spirit would guide and convict, and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth today. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it doesn't matter how we feel today, where we're at today, you are the same yesterday, today. And forever, and I pray, Lord, and I call upon your promises that you say you're faithful to complete the work that you've started in us, Lord. And I just pray that you would just continue to mold us and transform us to refine us into your image. And Lord, I pray that you would give your grace upon me this morning. That you would help me, Lord, just speak your truth this morning. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the title of today's message is A Thankful Heart, Remembering What God Has Done. And this is a personal kind of message that has been resonating in my heart and my mind. And do you ever have those thoughts that you have them up here and you know what you want to say? But when you go to say them, you just, it doesn't, it's hard to come out. It's hard to get the words to express. So if I word vomit on you. If you've never heard of word vomiting before, it's something in sales they teach, don't word vomit on somebody. But I apologize, but trying to get the message of what God has been kind of working on me in my life and share it with you this morning. And and I've shared with you guys in past messages that I'm really a, someone who desires self-help, self-development. I've mentioned before that I, I love following Tony Robbins. I love following these guys like Ed Milet, reading these books of how to become the best version of yourself. And as we come here at November and December, it's a classic time for what? It's a classic time for reflection and goal setting. And, you know, in November, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving comes around and we're thankful. We're sitting there and we're going, hey, I'm thankful for all these things. It, it becomes relevant in our lives. And then we head into December and as we come to the end of the year, We start going, man, you start reflecting on your year. And if you're anything like me, who tends to love self-development, you start thinking of all the things you could have done better. 
Where are my failures at? Where did I not achieve the goals that I set out for myself in 2019? And then that leads you into what? That leads you into planning the vision of the future. You start setting your goals. So for me personally, I'm setting my goals for 2020. And then for Reminder Media, my company, we're in strategic planning mode and trying to bring that to a close and going, how do we as an organization, how does Luke Acri improve? How does he become the better version of himself? I mean, how many of you guys want a more fulfilled life in 2020? I want a more fulfilled life. I want more happiness. I want more joy. I want more peace. I want all those things, and I'm chasing those things. And I know those things are provided from Christ. How many of you guys set a a New Year's resolution? 2019, did you set a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand if you set a New Year's resolution. Not, Not very many people. One person, two people. All right, here's the harder question. How many kept their New Year's resolution? See, as I come to the end of 2019, I want to challenge us this morning with the the challenge I give myself, which is, where is my focus? And where should my focus be? And with the New Year's resolutions, I just Googled because I wanted to see how many people actually keep their New Year's resolutions. And it's 25% keep their New Year's resolutions after 30 days. So 75% of us are done at 30 days. And then the rest of the year, at the end of the year, a measly 8% keep their New Year's resolution. And here's my challenge is a New Year's resolution like working out. It's kind of simplistic. It's not a hard type of thing. But the discipline, the focus it takes to continue in your New Year's resolution is so difficult. And there's this teaching and saying in in these self-help, if you're you're trying to get better, there's this saying that says, where your focus goes, your energy flows. So remember that because it will help you in your life. Where your focus goes your energy flows. And what that means, and I think it's a biblical principle, where you put your heart, man, your energy is going to flow there. And your energy usually comes out in the money you spend and the time and all that good stuff. And so where's your focus? And what I've learned in my journey of self-development and trying to be the best version of Luke Acri, to fulfill the calling, to be the best version of myself, what I've learned is you will never grow past the identity you have for yourself. You will never grow past the identity you have for yourself. And where does your identity come from usually when you're in the world? It usually comes from your experiences. All of us have been shaped by our experiences, especially our childhood. Think back to your parents and the impact they had on your life. What they told you you were talented at. What they told you you weren't talented at. The tragedies that happened in your life that influenced you. The rewards that happened in your life that influenced you. And what happens to most people is they never grow past their identity. And one of the guys I follow called Ed Milet, he talks about your identity like the temperature setting on the wall. He says what happens to you in your life is is you have a certain temperature that you set your life at. And you can never go above that temperature. 
And it doesn't matter if a cold breeze comes in the room or, or a hot wind. You just always regulate down to that temperature. And that's why they teach you in like self-development that you're the sum of the six people that you're closest to. Because if you can get around people with a higher temperature that vibrate at a higher level, you're going to naturally try to bring yourself up and, and vibrate at that level and get to that temperature. And when you study successful people, so who are successful people in the world's eyes? Tom Brady. The guy's unbelievable. Hall of Fame quarterback for sure. Won the most Super Bowls of anybody. LeBron James, champion athlete. Steve Jobs, champion business person. Bill Gates, champion business person. Let's use Tom Brady. When you study these successful people, you know what you find? Because I read tons of books on this stuff. You find that their identity, the identity they have, the standards they have, are so much higher than the other people around them. They have an identity, and in fact, when you interview them and you read about them, they believe they're supposed to win. They believe that they were destined to win, and they set their standards that high. In fact, in fact Rob Gronkowski was the tight end for the Patriots, and he retired last year. And if you guys don't know football, forgive me, but this guy's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame. He won multiple Super Bowls with Tom Brady. And he talked about this year in an article when he was getting interviewed. He said he doesn't miss the negativity in the Patriots locker room. And I apologize to all the Eagles fans out there. I know we all hate the Patriots. But he doesn't miss the negativity of Tom Brady. And what he was saying in the interview was that here's Tom Brady with a 10-1 record. He's won 10 games, he's lost one, and he's not satisfied. His standards are so high, he looks at the 10 games he won, and he goes, I could have played those games better. He looks at the one game he lost, and he goes, well, I definitely could have played that game better. Meaning his standards are so high, and those standards flow from his identity. And I got news for you guys, because I want to bring it home. Tom Brady, he's won a bunch of Super Bowls. And he's really popular right now in 200 years. No one's going to know his name, probably. Meaning, we have a greater identity than Tom Brady. We have a greater identity than these gurus of business, the people who have spent their lives trying to be the best in class in their professions, in their industries. We have a deeper identity than that. And where does it come from? It comes from Christ. Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Why am I sharing about Tom Brady and Bill Gates and Elon Musk and LeBron James and all these people? I don't know about you guys, but I live every day in the world and I want to be successful. I want to myself, I want to be the top of my game. I want to be someone who seeks and becomes the best version of themselves. That's me. I, I want to be that. And so what I do is, what do I do? I do what everybody else does, is I look and go, what is success? Where, where are the, the models of success out there? And why I chose this psalm, Psalm 103, 1 through 5, it's a, it's a beautiful psalm. Because I believe this states the focus of really what we should focus on for 2020 to be successful. What we should focus on, I don't know if you guys know or not, we're coming to the end of a decade. So 10 years goes by in a blink, and I promise you this next 10 years is going to go by in a blink. 
And I think David here, scholars believe he wrote this psalm probably near the latter years of his life. They're not positive on that, but looking back and reflecting on the journey he went through in life. And I believe this psalm really points out what the key focus of the Christian life really is. And I want to tie it back for me, and I hope it impacts you, that it actually teaches, this psalm right here actually teaches what all these self-help books teach. It actually teaches what these self-development gurus teach, except there's a foundation here that's real. There's a foundation here that's not fleeting, that, that, that won't go away, that won't perish. This psalm is actually um, referred to as the Hallelujah Chorus for David. It's the most read and recited psalm in Scripture. And I want you to notice that in the text, he's addressing his soul. He's reminding himself as he praises the Lord of all that God has done. This psalm is considered a psalm to be pure praise. And when I say a psalm of pure praise, I mean in the sense that there's no historical, really, um, moment that David's writing about in this psalm. So when you read a lot of psalms, if you get into the psalm, what you'll see at the beginning of the psalm is there was a reason why he was writing this psalm. It would state maybe a time, it would state a tragedy or something, a, a suffering he was going through. But this psalm has really no historical circumstance surrounding it. David wrote this song. And because he wrote this song, I think it's really fitting as a call to the Christian life. And I was reading John MacArthur as I was studying this psalm and getting his kind of take on the psalm. And he wrote this excerpt that I think is really good. He said this, For the Christian believer, Psalms 103 is the focus of our life. For a believer, this is true north. There is no mention of enemies, foes, or threats. There are no requests, there are no complaints, there are no petitions. This is just pure worship to God. When you look at the catechism of the chief in demand, does anybody know what the chief in demand is? The chief in demand, the reason we exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This psalm, it is a joyous thankful, overflowing, praise ringing from the hearts of those who have been given full and eternal salvation. And John MacArthur goes on to say, there's not a more pure outburst of praise that exists in the scripture. I want to read the psalm again to us. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. My challenge to us this morning is that the focus of our next year, the focus of our next decade, the focus of our life, really our eternity, should be on this. Blessing the Lord with all that is within us. Not just with singing on a Sunday morning. Not just with sitting in a Bible study. 
David said, I will praise him with all that is within me. That means praise him with my attitudes, my actions, my family, my finances, my words, my work, my relationships, my voice, my vocation, my church, my children, my hobbies, my habits. You get what I'm saying? With all that is within you, not just your words, but also your deeds, Praise him with everything that is within you. So this should raise the question in all of our minds. If blessing the Lord is our focus, if that's the call of the Christian life, how do you bless the Lord? How do you constantly bless the Lord? And I think Psalms 103 is a psalm that is a psalm of power, meaning I think it gives us the key to not only understanding how you bless the Lord with your life, but really the key to understanding how you actually experience more joy and fulfillment in 2020. I really believe right here what you're going to learn right here in this psalm can change your whole life if you apply it. I truly believe it. And what's so amazing to me as I read this psalm and I was studying and, and preparing for this message is that the secular world... The self-help world teaches the principle we're about to learn in the scriptures. It teaches the principle. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Here is the key to living a life that blesses the Lord. Forget not all his benefits. Meaning the benefits in the Hebrew means the good dealings he's done for you. Forget not the good deeds he's done for you. I ask all of you just this challenging question this morning. What if you woke up tomorrow morning with only what you thank God for today? I know I would wake up with barely anything. Perspective is so powerful. Reflection is so powerful. Some of us probably might be struggling with our finances, but did you know an income of $32,400 per year would allow someone to be in the top 1% of the world earners? You wake up and you think about your struggles and you think about the things you're going through, and when you put it into perspective of the blessings, you, you got out of bed, you walked, didn't you? When you put it into perspective, your trials versus the blessings that have given to you, it, it shapes you. It changes you when you start thinking through that lens. And let me tell you about the self-help. So there's this uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he studies, studies neuroscience. And he studies the human mind and human psychology and, and how do you improve yourself. And you know what he says that's so powerful when it's tied to this is he says the problem with most humans is when we wake up we start to think and when he studies humans in the human brain and what people think about guess what they tend to think about they think about their struggles they think about their pains they think about the challenge at work they're going to face that day and he says the problem with that is your thoughts are tied to memories and memories are tied to emotions when you study the human brain 
And so what happens is you start thinking about your challenges and your finances, your struggles at work, your struggles in your relationships, which are triggered then the emotions that go along with those struggles. And the thoughts are the language of the brain. Emotions are the language of the body. And so what happens in, when you study the human brain, when you think negative thoughts, guess what you act out? Negativity. When you think positive thoughts, you act out positivity. There's a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. So here, people who have nothing to do with scriptures, nothing to do with the Bible, anything like that, are just saying, hey, when you study the human brain and you look at people and what they think about is actually what turns into action and what they do. And what is God commanding us to do? Hey, Luke, when you wake up in the morning, remember all the benefits that I've given you. Remember all the good that I've given you. And think about the power of remembering the blessings and the benefits that God has given you that would shape how you then act. I know when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that comes to my mind is not thankfulness. It's not remembering what God has done. And so in the secular world, you can see the benefits of just positive power or the power of positive thinking. But when you tie it to actually scriptures, here's what's amazing about this is God commands us to remember his benefits, remember the good dealings that he's done. In fact, it's so critical that back in the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy, when the Lord is warning the people of Israel, I'll read it to you, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 11 says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statues, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What I love about this is in, in the self-help books, they teach, hey, don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable because comfort is the enemy of growth. And, and that's literally what it's saying here, but tied back to truth. Hey, don't think that you're, you multiplied your gold, that you multiplied your silver. Remember the Lord. So we'll become proud and forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions of thirsty ground. When there was no water, he brought you water for you out of for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall not remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers. As it is this day, it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. Because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God, warning, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget his benefits or you're going to perish. It's amazing, and I wish you guys, I told Megan this morning when I was 
talking to her about this, I, I said, man, I wish they had read the books that I've read in self-help and have watched these videos because I'm telling you, the correlation is unbelievable. I will sit down for a self-help book in the world and they will say the same principle. They will say, hey, don't, don't get too comfortable. Don't, they'll say these principles of, hey, focus on good things, focus on the, the benefits, but there's no foundation there. There's no foundation of truth. Sure, it helps you in this life, but that's it. Maybe it makes you feel better for a day, but that's it. God is saying, do not forget all his benefits. He gives us this application of placing stones of remembrance in our life. We see that in Samuel. Samuel used stones as remembrance. When God's people wanted to remember his goodness and faithfulness, you find that in Samuel 7.12. Joshua also commanded the people to use stones of remembrance. Do you guys know what a stone of remembrance was? A stone of remembrance was when God led them through something. They wanted to remember that so they never forgot. When in Joshua, it was the parting of the Red Sea. So they never forgot. God gives us that practical application. But what's so great about this is he says, don't forget. And then he reminds us of the benefits, which gives us the firm foundation. And I want to walk you through the benefits real quick. First, he says, he forgives and heals. So he says, don't forget my benefits. And then he goes on to list some of the benefits. He forgives and he heals. And what's so amazing about this, he forgives and he heals. In verse 3 it says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. First I want to point out, and I underlined it, is all. He forgives all your sin. There's not a sin out there that God can't forget. There's not a sin out there that you have. See, in self-help, there's things you try to block out. Because you can't get them out of your mind. There's no, like, you make a mistake, an embarrassing thing. I've done speeches before where I've embarrassed myself, and it sticks with you, and it sticks with you in your brain, and you start getting discouraged about it, and it starts to overwhelm you, and you start to doubt, and and a lot of people, that leads them into depression when they don't accomplish the things that they're hoping to. But God has given you forgiveness of everything in your life. There's freedom in everything in your life. And what's interesting is David chose to use the word iniquity, And iniquity is in the same family of sin and transgression, but iniquity talks about not only forgiving your sin, it talks about forgiving the guilt and shame of your sin. Because a lot of us, we believe God has forgiven us, but we still walk around with that shame and that guilt. And when you you go through this self-help, they try to walk you through in your life from a psychiatrist standpoint of letting go of these scars that have hurt you. And if you talk about them and all those things, that you can, you can overcome them. But we, same principle, but we actually have a truth that will help you overcome them. That will free you from the guilt and shame of your sin. Then he says he heals all your diseases. And when you look at this, he doesn't mean... He doesn't mean literal, literal diseases, because we know God doesn't heal all literal diseases. What he means is diseases of the soul. The chief disease of the soul is sin, but then you have fear, doubt, depression, anger, hate, jealousy, pride, greed, When you wake up 
and you start meditating on God's benefits, you can meditate with the assurance that God will heal your fear. He will heal your doubt. He will heal your depression. There's an assurance there that you get that you don't get in the self-help books. There's no assurance that someone's going to heal my doubt when Tony Robbins talks to me. There's no assurance that someone's going to heal my depression when I read an Ed Milet book. All there are in that world is tactics, mental tactics to try to overcome something in your mind. Not only does he heal and forgive, he redeems and crowns. This is the power of redemption in this song. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The word redeem here means to act as a kinsman. The, the reason Jesus actually came in human form is because he had to act as our kinsman redeemer. And in old times, what a kinsman redeemer was is the closest relative to you. The kinsman redeemer was responsible for preserving the integrity of life, property, and family name of his close relative or executing justice upon his murderer. What's so amazing about he redeems and he crowns you is let's look at redeems. When I think about his good benefits and I practice the power of that positive thinking, I know that God is going to redeem me. He's going to redeem me not by what I've done, not by my ability to think positively all day long about his benefits, but by what he's done, by being our kinsman redeemer. And I'm not sure if you guys are tying together that point there. In all the other self-help books, it's by what you've done. It's by your ability to meditate every day to practice the rituals. But here God says he redeems you based upon what he's done, being your kinsman redeemer. When something is redeemed, it is bought back. There is a ransom paid for the object to be redeemed. For those who are believers in Jesus Christ, he himself is the ransom for our souls. So to me, the reason why that speaks to me so much is because as I've practiced self-development in my life and tried to get better, it's all about what I can do, how much better I can get at positive thinking and how much better I can get at meditation and discipline in my habits. And there's, if I slip up one day, that's it. He, he redeems me. He redeems me, not my ability he redeems me. And not only does he redeem me, he crowns me. He crowns me. And that word crown is surrounding you in steadfast love and mercy, which means when you mess up, because we all will mess up, he, he takes you back with tenderness and mercy and his steadfast love. He doesn't judge you he doesn't make you feel bad. He brings you back and he surrounds you with his steadfast love and mercy. And the last benefit is he satisfies and renews you. 
And this is really comes from who satisfies you with the good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It comes from Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Because he forgives our sin, because he gives us relationship, because he heals our souls, diseases, he gives meaning to life. How many people waste the lives or the years of their lives on things that in the long run really don't count? So tying it back to Tom Brady, and this is not a judgment on Tom Brady, I don't know Tom Brady, but if your whole life is about being the expert in your field, is about just being successful in the world's eyes, you'll never be satisfied. See, what this verse is talking about is that God gives his people purpose in living. He gives us meaning. He keeps our lives from going to waste. Our lives are lived with eternal purpose. Christ, our lives are not lived, all lives not lived in Christ are only a shell of what they are intended to be. This is one of the benefits of knowing God. Our lives count. They are not lived in vain. They are not, they have eternal significance. This is the one thing that when you get to the end of your life, most people struggle with. See, he gives us satisfaction in our old age in verse 5 where it says he satisfies you with good. What that means is he gives you satisfaction in your old age. Remember, he is speaking to your soul. He is saying that one of the benefits of being in God's people is that when you are old, you will not have to look back on your life with regret, regardless of your age or how many years you've walked upon the earth. God will give you satisfaction. So the point I'm trying to drive home is that if you look at these benefits, basically God is saying, hey, the central focus of your life should be blessing the Lord with all that's within you. And how you do that is you need to constantly remember the benefits. You need to create stones of remembrance in your life. And it's not built on a rocky or, or a fake foundation. It's built on a real foundation. It's built on a benefit that, hey, God has saved you. He's given you a purpose. He's healed you. But not only has he healed you, as you live your life, he constantly redeems you. When you fall down, he brings you back. And how he brings you back? He brings you back with tenderness, with steadfast love. He crowns you. And then on top of that, he makes your life worth something that's living. He gives you meaning. Do you get that? Meaning. In the self-help world, I can try all I want, but if I'm logically consistent and I lay my head down at night on my pillow, it's just Luke Acri's thoughts. But based upon scripture, it's, God, I'm going to try to think positively about what you've done for me and what you've brought me through, and that's based upon that you've given me forgiveness, that you have made me right with you, and not only that, as I go through life, you redeem me, you constantly bring me back in steadfast love, and then you make my life meaningful and purposeful so I don't regret anything at the end of my day. 
What's the application for us? I think the application for us is real simple, but it's the most difficult thing, which is we have to bless the Lord, oh my soul, with all that is within us. How many of us, when we came to worship this morning, looked at our souls and said, soul, rise up and bless the Lord. That's what David's saying. He's commanding his soul. When you get out of bed tomorrow, command your soul, rise up, praise the Lord, praise him with all that is within you. That means praise him with your attitudes, praise him with your actions, praise him with your family, your finances, your work, your relationships, your voice, your vocation, your church, your children, your hobbies, your habits, everything that is in you, praise the Lord. And to do this, write down stones of remembrance in your life. In fact, I encourage all of you, when you go outside, pick up a little stone. Pick up a little rock today and take that rock home and think about one thing that God has done for you in 2019 and hold on to that rock. Hold on to that rock to remind you of what God has done. And if you don't have 2019, go back 2018. And if you don't have something in your life, which I know you do, you just got to dig deep, you can rely on the promises of God from the scriptures. These promises, these good things that he's done for his people. Because if every day, if the first thing you grabbed out of bed was that rock and that stone of remembrance and not your phone, I promise you the transformation that it would make in your life because God's word does not return void and he's commanding us to remember and not forget his benefits and that's my challenge to myself as I enter into 2020 for my life and for Reminder Media and is to focus every day not to forget the benefits of God because that will cause me to rise up and praise him and it will affect every action. Remember your thoughts are the language of your mind, your actions are the language of your body, and your thoughts control your actions. What you feed in here will play out here. So what are you feeding in? Remember, stones of remembrance every day. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.